1: Life is full of awesome what ifs and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out of pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com.
2: Hey, y'all, it's Jacqueline getting closer to the new Unscrewed Season launch, but I have another treat for you in the interim. This is the interview I did last month on the Bad Christian podcast. I talked to Bad Christian once before. It's a group of white Southern guys who are unpacking what they learned growing up in the evangelical church and trying to figure out what they still believe and what's bogus bullshit. And they're really great and fun. And I love talking to them because they have a completely different perspective than I do, but they're really genuinely open to dialogue and learning and exchange. Um, And so... It leads to some challenging conversations, but also keeps me on my toes. And I learn a lot about how they're thinking. And it's just a really great show. You can just put Bad Christian into your podcast app wherever you are and, and find them. And in the meantime, uh, check out this interview I did with them last month, which it manages to tie together the Jews Against Ice protests I participated in this summer and voting and sex ed and a whole bunch of other stuff in like a neat little bow by the end. I was pretty pleased with myself if I do say so. So have a listen. And uh, also don't forget coming up is my Boston live show at the podcast garage on September nineteenth. Those tickets are free, but you do want to reserve them. So you have a spot you don't want to miss out if they sell out. So go to JacquelineFriedman.com and check out my events page for all the details there. And I hope to see you there. In the meantime, enjoy the show.
3: Have you been doing a lot of press and podcasts lately?
2: I actually have. I wasn't for a while. And my show's on summer hiatus, but I just did Call Your Girlfriend, and I just did uh, the new Bitch Magazine pod. I've been surprisingly doing a lot of these lately. That's great. I like being a guest on other people's shows. It's so much less work.
3: Yeah, I yeah. know, I know. It's the best. It's uh, and we're already rolling. By the way, if yeah, everybody's comfortable, yeah. if y'all are rolling stuff, but I love being on other people's podcasts too because there's no pressure, and I know already that they want me to show out a little bit. Like they asked me on because they like my personality or something. So here you go. Like you asked for it, I feel so free. Exactly. And when I do this podcast, I have to man. I feel like oh, I just. You know, so presumptuous, I'm the host, it's my show, I want to talk about me, like, that, you know, that's hard. (laughs) Exactly,
2: exactly. So, I was thrilled. Also, I had so much fun talking to you guys last time, so...
4: Yeah, well, we, really, had a, we had a big response. That's what I was going to say, too. I think that's I like even uh, having you back is really fun for us because we had a great response, especially in our BC club about just how many people really appreciate your point of view and the way, you know, just your open-mindedness and all that stuff. But it, it was funny even you're talking about going on other people's so show. I even watched a few like YouTubes and interviews uh, just to refresh myself of where you're at now with some stuff And it and you have so much information, knowledge to bring that is I think the people that shows you go on to, it's easy for them too. I really do believe that. Like you, the nicest thing in the world is when you have a guest on and you know, they're, they're bringing something and and can talk and that, and and (laughs) you, you got all that for sure. And it's, it's just so nice. And it feels easy. It's not like work. So some of the people that interviewed you that I was watching, it was really funny. Like, I was like, how you are carrying this segment. unbelievably (laughs) well?" So It's pretty cool.
2: So yeah. What should we talk uh, about today?
3: Well I I wanted to start with purity culture to you, is 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 an area that is just kind of real interesting. I mean there's always stuff going on in it and I really feel the public frame shifting on that. And I think what's interesting is uh part of what makes the good for you to be on the show is you we come from different backgrounds and are even in different places. I think that's what feels so good is an exchange of information there and seeing how much we have changed in the community we represent. They've shifted a ton on purity culture and now are way closer to a much more open-minded and liberal view. So it's really good to like check back in with people and go, oh, we're closer together now. We've changed. We moved a little bit here. And now some of these other ideas I used to think were scary are, are not scary. I mean, I used to be closer to an abstinence guy. And that kind of stuff seems so nonsensical to me now. So it, that's kind of where I wanted to, to engage yeah. there. I know you've done a lot of work about sex ed and sex ed in schools. And, you know, so that, that's the topic that I'm kind of interested in to begin with.
2: Yeah, I will talk about sex ed in schools all day long. I mean, look, just to be clear for everyone listening and so we can define terms, I am all for abstinence as a personal choice, right? That people Mm -hmm. who feel like abstinence is the right call for them in whatever circumstance they're in or for whatever reasons make sense to them— are, I think that's great, and they're ahead of the game because so many people I talk to don't know what they want when it comes to sex, right? And, are, and feel confused and overwhelmed. And so, if you feel clear that what you want on a personal level is is abstinence, like I am all for that. What I'm not for is telling everybody that's the right that, that that's the one size fits all solution,
4: mm-hmm. right? Yeah, I think, especially growing up in church, that's one of the things I've wondered because it was taught in school the same way. The best sex is is the, to wait. You know what I mean? Like that. Like and and now I was in elementary school in the '80s, so uh, maybe some of that has changed. I, my kids haven't really had my oldest now. Ruby is nine, and they haven't really gotten into sex education at the schools yet. I'm wondering what that will look like and what questions she'll have. But I, is the underlying thing you think with with purity culture? When I think of the the term purity culture, I think. Wait till marriage because God wants you to. Like that's what I've always thought. But now, even thinking it, and y'all bringing up the education aspect of it. That was taught kind of in school too. That school, the the best sex is to wait for a partner that you are in love with, most likely married to, and then have sex. And the and mm-hmm. if you don't, uh, either maybe you're a slut, maybe you're, you know you're a sleaze bag, maybe you're, you know you're, you're really rotten or something like that. And that stuck with me. I still feel that way. Sometimes Like Matt, same way as you said, I, I think I was probably abstinence, even though I, I felt like, okay, I, I would ha- have oral sex. And then I would just ask God to forgive me. And I was like, why am I keep, why, why am I having oral sex? You know, why shouldn't I, I'm, shouldn't I be a better person? Why am I doing this? And the, th- so my answer to it always was, Oh, I'm a sinner. I'm weak. It was Satan. Uh, you know, maybe it was the, 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 the girl's fault that we fooled around with, you know, all the worst possible answers instead of thinking about my own sexuality, my own sexuality. That was just that almost never popped in my head. How crazy is that?
2: And there's so many things that flow from that, that are damaging to all of us. One is obviously the sexist ways in which that gets implemented in real life when we talk about purity culture what we're talking about is a fixation specifically on female virginity right and that women are impure and that and oftentimes like you said if if men are sexual with women or young men or boys right um we, we blame the women anyway, right? Or we say like, oh, you, right. it's your responsibility right. not to tempt men. Men are weak. You can't expect them. It's like, right. it, it all falls on women. It's about controlling women's behavior and, and blaming and stigmatizing women most of the time. Which is not to say that it doesn't damage men. Obviously, you just said, like, you've suffered with it. But also, mm. the thing that perplexes me so much is how we think we can tell young people not to even think about sex, right? Because that's the ideal for purity culture, right? That not only that you're not doing anything sexual, but that your thoughts are pure too, right? Which is literally impossible. You know, it's setting Mm -hmm. everybody else up to feel bad and shameful. And when we feel bad and shameful, then we're easily controlled, right? So you can draw your own conclusions from that. But also... How are we suddenly supposed to be functional, healthy, sexual adults when we finally get married or whatever Rubicon is that we're supposed to make sex okay? Like, if we're supposed to keep young people growing up in absolute purity from any sexual thoughts, and then, like, we're going to flip some light switch and then you're ready to be an actual mature adult around sex, it we're not preparing anybody to be a good sexual citizen.
3: Yes, no. completely no. absurd. If you. Th- frame it in those terms. And it's, it's, uh, I mean, you know, my, the way I look at parenting or child development is just so simple. It's practice. Yes. That's all it is. That's what it's for. I mean, that's why you're interested. You just, there's no, there's nothing else really. It's not, you don't have a kid to explain the rules to it and what to do. That is not really what's going on. It's practicing being a human until you can do it by yourself. So to deny one of the most fundamental biological driving processes that is completely one of the biggest motivators of all human behavior and all advertising. And it's one of the hunger and sex are the, the things that drive us the most, it seems. And you have no practice of that one, the one that's going to drive, that drives you and has driven all of selection and evolution. Deny that until it's time to completely handle it professionally as a grown adult that's married. I mean, professionally is not right. the right word, but <laughs> that's, <laughs> a, that's an absurd thought.
2: Yeah, it's absolutely absurd. And it's, it's setting up for a lot of pain. It also sets up early marriage, right? Like we know statistically yes. speaking that young people who grew up in purity culture aren't more likely to abstain, but they are more likely to get married really early and have miserable marriages because they got married in order to be able to have sex and not because this is somebody that they actually thought would be a good life partner.
3: Yeah. But Jacqueline, I know somebody that got married at 19 and they're happily married to this day. So that what you said must be invalid. (laughs) Right?
2: No, I mean, look, an exception to everything i'm happy for them but statistically speaking in the (laughs) aggregate it's not a good formula for happiness right like there's you can find an exception to every rule but on the average young people Mm -hmm. who get married because they think that's the only way to legitimately have sex have unhappy
3: it causes a lot of marriages is the point yeah Yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
2: (laughs) exactly and not for not for the reasons you'd want someone to be getting married
3: Yeah, I've been struggling with trying to rethink this stuff because it was laid down pretty well. I mean, for me. Uh, And now it's, I'm thinking about through the frame of my kids, my daughters, and all that stuff. And I saw a tweet yesterday that was like, somebody asked, Well, what is purity culture? And the guy responded, He said, "Uh, Okay, pretty much, it was somebody foreign or something that didn't know, like just wasn't sure what the evangelical term or whatever the purity culture was. And he said, "Uh, Okay, I'll explain it like this At a youth group event when I was 16, They took the the youth pastor took out a cup and passed it around the room and had everybody spit in Mm -hmm. the cup. And then when he got done, when they got the cup done, everybody spit in it. He asked, "Who wants to drink this?" Everybody says no, and that says, "And and that's what you are if you have sex with a bunch of people." That's like that's nobody would want to have sex with you know nobody will want you.
4: Yeah. Yeah,
2: which is really
3: and it's focused on the female and all that stuff, just like you said,
2: treating women as a commodity, right? Right. Like, as like that you want. a a trophy you want the extra virgin oil pressing Mm -hmm. right like you know like the idea that like if i have sex that i'm not maybe gonna be better at it because i've had practice right like that that i'm gonna be inherently devalued because i have experienced something is i mean honestly just deeply offensive and wrong
4: Mm -hmm. and it builds up a I mean, the the thing I realized is like when I got married, I was thinking the, the only words I can think is like the finish line. Oh, wait a minute. I didn't I didn't actually have sex with anybody else but her. And, you know, it, and so I did it in a way, even though I'd had like even though I'd had oral sex a bunch of times had done, uh, you know, everything but vaginal sex, basically, I, it I thought it, on somehow I was maintaining some relationship with my God, and somehow I was respecting uh, the women I was dating by just only me performing or her performing oral sex. Like the, the, the well, whole at least thing you was, was misconstru- mutual about it. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah. No, that. But, but also, Oh, it, Toby's
3: great with the mutuality of oh, the oral. Yeah. I mean, well, that's well, never been a problem.
4: But that's what's interesting <laughs> is like there. I mean, I, I, I. It set up a weird. Uh, idea of what sex would be too like oh wait you can only you can do this stuff but you can't do this stuff as in, uh, and then all of a sudden you're married and you can do anything maybe but what but you don't even know you like, thought you like, were going like to get saying. a
3: reward for waiting
4: yeah I thought oh you man thought you wait deserve to my, yeah, my honeymoon for, will for have sex efforts. unbelievable yeah. and, and all of that and, and it, I think there, like maybe we should even define too like there are good reasons not to have sex right there
2: are a ton like, of I mean, good reasons yeah, not to have yeah, sex yeah. but everyone gets to define them for themselves
4: Right. Right, but how do you, how do you frame that with a, a 12-year-old? And they're yeah, they're horny starting, you know, or nine, how yeah does or 15 he year get old. To make like what, what, like when we're talking about education, how do you say do, like do you tell them everything's on the table but be careful like that's that's what I'm getting at like and I'm headed there now getting ready to have some conversations and I feel like I'm already behind the eight ball a little bit. How old is kids? My oldest is 9, oh, then that's I got a right. 7 so and a 6 year old, so So I,
2: here's how i think about this i think about it in terms of the individual kids readiness and and i think we talked last time i was on there's a wonderful website for young people around sex which is called scarletteen.com um so like the word scarlet with e-e-n at the end and they have on their site uh something called a sex readiness checklist which goes over all the things you want to think about before you decide to have partnered sex so it's obviously different than masturbation, uh, which no. is a different kind of sex. Uh, but some of those things are, do I feel like I can talk about safer sex, right? Am I ready to, Is that, does that feel super awkward to say, how are we going to be protective of each other? Do I feel ready to negotiate and pay attention to my partner around consent? Do I feel like if this person... If I have sex with this person and then they don't want to talk to me anymore, like, how am I going to take that? Am I emotionally ready to take that kind of rejection? So there's there's like an emotional major- maturity question around a lot of the responsibilities that come with being sexual with another person. And the question is, is this individual person? And it's not just young people. We talk about it for young people, but all of us at different points in our lives are not ready to show up for other people like that when we've got other stuff going on mentally for ourselves. Like... But-
3: that is a, just so just ridiculous how obviously simple that is. If you just take it out of the realm of sex and I never really put two and two together like that, but it'd be maybe similar to horror movie watching or ready to swim in the deep end or whatever. There's a thing I do with my kids where like if my daughter climbs a tree and she wants to get into some situation, she says, help me get down from here or help me get up here. I will say, no. I say, if you can't get out of into and out of the situation, I'm not going to help you. Like, you need, you need to decide how far you can go up a tree and still get down. You don't need to get in a situation you can't handle. Uh, same with the horror movies. It's like some kids are going to be able to handle it. You can take a custom approach to it. Can they articulate that it's real or not real? Do they really understand? And that's a maturity thing. So with sex, if you're a horny 15-year-old boy and you can do nothing but giggle when somebody talks about sex or safe sex, you probably shouldn't be also having it. Right. Like, yeah. Of course you could have sex but you don't have any of the tools and you can't even have a healthy adult conversation about it so maybe that's the barrier to why this isn't you know exactly on the other hand you, the message you said is something along the lines of well you define it for yourself i don't know how you tell 15 year old horny, horny boy yeah you just define it for yourself how what do you do well
2: that's why i really recommend easier. this sex readiness checklist because it gives you mm-hmm. a structure to talk through these questions with a young person or anybody else, honestly, or, but it also, if, if they're not going to talk about it with you, you can also say like, I want you to make sure you're ready according to this checklist. Right. Mm -hmm. It's not just you decide good luck. Right. Mm -hmm. (laughs) You can give them a framework about thinking about whether they're ready. Um, But, but the framework isn't literally what is your age and marital status, because that doesn't really tell you anything about anyone's sexual maturity.
3: But I haven't looked at that checklist, but does it include like to actually be able to discuss it like with your parents or is that private? Like if you're a 16 year old and you feel like you're ready on the checklist, do you need to talk to your parents about it?
2: I don't know if that's on the checklist or not. I'm going to look it up, but I I feel complicated about that because not everybody's parents are the same. Right. So I wouldn't want to blanket say, if you're not ready to talk about this with your parents, you shouldn't have sex. If you have parents who think you're literally going to go to hell if you have sex. Um, Or if you're a queer kid and you want to have sex with somebody of the same gender and you literally like it's unsafe for you to talk to your parents about that. So I think that that is a more, again, a more relationship by relationship thing, which is bringing up something that I think underlies a lot of this stuff, which is that people really crave these black and white binary rules Mm -hmm. Right. Which is, I think, actually why the purity culture appeals in some ways. Like it says, here's what's right and here's what's wrong. Nobody has to think about it.
3: (laughs) Right. right. and In
2: in some ways, that's comforting. Right. Like somebody made this decision. Life is complicated enough. Here is a a clean answer.
3: But yeah, God gave the answer. How clean could it get? Exactly. It wasn't the experts. It's better than that. So we were pretty sure about this one is the way it, it, it feels, you know.
2: But in reality, sex is a human interaction, and it's messy and complicated and contextual like every other human interaction.
3: No (laughs) no doubt about it. (laughs) But, you know, the fear is really what drives it. So what do you think about, you know, like what is the deal with the (laughs) interconnection here of like the public school? Like Toby said, oh, even in public school, that's not a Christian or evangelical thing. But there's a whole lot of real lockstep with with religious culture and Federal or state—I don't know who controls sex ed, but they're—I mean, same when they do evolution in schools and intelligent design. It's like, right? They're not really separate entities; they're both outflows of the same. They should be. They sh- thing
2: by design of our country, they should be, but they should are be. not. Yeah. not. Um, and that's for a whole bunch of reasons. You said you don't know who controls the sex ed in schools, and the answer is I don't actually. Nobody. So the federal government makes no regulations, basically, about sex ed in schools. Some states have laws on the books about it, and some states have no laws. And literally, it goes school district by school district, and sometimes classroom by classroom. Uh, and there's there's just an absolute morass. So, for example, there's something like I mean, I may be getting these numbers slightly wrong. There's something like nine states that mandate that sex ed has to talk about LGBT students, but four of those states mandate that you can only say bad things about them where you have to talk about oh. LGBT students and you have to say they're wrong and bad.
4: Oh uh God. Four states?
2: Yeah. Um, I, don't, California, I, I don't know what they are off the top of my head. Yeah.
4: yeah, California, Oregon, Washington, <laughs> and New York.
2: You got it. You nailed it, guys. So it's a total morass, and there's no way of knowing what's happening in your area unless you look into it and ask. But also you don't want to make a, you know, you made jokes about blue states, but I live in Massachusetts, which everyone thinks of as a blue, blue state, right? Mm -hmm. And our house and our Senate at the state level are run by Democrats. And we have not been able to pass a bill that we're on the fifth attempt, the ninth year of trying that literally just says, if you teach sex ed in public schools, it has to be based in science And it has to be LGBTQ affirming and talk about consent. Basically, it can't just be religious propaganda. Mm -hmm. Uh, And it doesn't even mandate that you have to teach sex ed. It just says if you do, you can't teach religious propaganda that has no basis in fact. And uh, and we can't get it passed even here in Massachusetts because
3: those things are hard to define. I guess for some people, you know. Like, what is propaganda and religious and what's true? And, and get, that stuff just gets, it's just so complicated. I don't think
2: yeah. science is that hard to define.
3: <laughs> All right, before we go any further, I'm going to drop a kick-ass song on you guys. And this song is called A Voice in the Violence. And it's a single from a band that I believe you should like. It's Wolves at the Gate. They've got a new record called Eclipse coming out. And, or it is out. The, the album just came out this week, as in a couple days ago, and it's time to start paying attention to it if you haven't saved it or gone there on Spotify. They haven't had an album come out since 2016. So this is kind of big time. So let's check out the song a little bit more. Okay, again, this is a voice in the violence single from Wolves at the Gate with their new record, Eclipse. This is their fourth full-length record with Solid State Records, and it's the first one since 2016. Pre-orders are still available, even though the album is out, if you like to get other things. And, of course, that supports the artists and tooth and nail and everything else. Wolvesatthegate.merchnow.com. They've got several different bundles to choose from over there. Follow the band's pages on Spotify and Apple Music so you can get alerts when new music comes out and what else, whatever else is going on. So, Eclipse is out now, go dig it. I mean, you, you would want to say, I understand that is how people, it seems that way, but it's just, I mean, you could, you know, it's just not that clear. I mean, I wish it was. And I feel that it is personally, it's just people don't agree about what's real or true or where truth comes from. And they're so suspicious of science that just don't, they feel, I don't know. For
2: example, teaching that condoms are ineffective as birth control is just factually false. It's false, but it's in a lot of abstinence-only propaganda. Mm-hmm. So the, the, it, it's literally not that complicated.
3: But – but no, yeah, but that part's not complicated, but to get people to agree about it is – is that's the – so here, here's kind of why I'm interested in doing this conversation is because yeah. I, th- this is where I get really lost because as soon as it becomes political – so let's jump out of this and talk about, I don't know, firearms. That isn't an honest conversation, and that's why I don't fuck around with politics. At all, because it's not it's not real, and nobody's telling the truth, and nobody's acting in good faith, and I just can't operate in that space. I don't think so I you mean nobody. Getting. Do you
2: mean nobody?
3: Well, it's getting worse. But I mean, for instance, on the 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 Second Amendment stuff, is the Second Amendment the one with the firearms? I think so. Um, it's uh, it's it's don't give an inch, and even if there's an idea that you don't actually hold that would help move the center line of the two polar sides, then you have to it's it's, it's that. Mentality. It's not about. Are we having a conversation? Can we agree? It's. I'm trying to move. It's like It's a. It's a hostile negotiation of trying to move the anchor point of the center by extreme tactics that are dishonest, either dishonest or disingenuous, or at least not in good faith.
2: you find people on both sides who are doing that, but you can also find people who are trying to have a conversation.
3: I don't think yeah, that you— They're usually not effective in politics, though. Like, if I go to try to talk politics, it'll just be like, huh, I see where you're coming. I mean, everybody's just going to listen to the loudmouth pushing the—you know, to engage there effectively, you have to be pushing. Like, it's, it just seems so agenda-based. It seems pointless to act I mean,
2: I think who's it's really funny talking. that you think you're not engaging in politics right
3: now. Well, you know, I do think that my words and my conversations matter. But politically, I don't want them to be political. I do not want what I do to get to the realm of politics. I want it to stay in the realm of social, human, influential interactions. You no,
2: don't know what you mean by politics
3: then? <sighs> okay. Well, then we have a good spot to, to talk here. I mean by politics that when something goes from being – like think of a, a political issue that is reasonable to engage – in my opinion, is a, a an economic issue or a, just a, you know, a political, it should be, p- politics should be boring, in my opinion, that politics should just be pretty boring. And some people pay attention to it because it's the level of policy and voting and very few people really understand unintended consequence and any of that kind but of stuff. But here I am
2: talking about policy. We're trying to get a policy mm-hmm. passed here in Massachusetts. It says that you have to be able to back up your sex ed curriculum mm-hmm. with, you know, peer reviewed, credible research and mm-hmm. you're saying nobody can agree on facts, right? I'm
3: saying that information is extremely impor- important and that conversation is extremely important. And I want to go to as many people as possible, but I don't want any of those people to be thinking about politics while they're having that conversation. But what do you it mean about politics?
2: Want, All of this uh, is politics. Voting,
3: policy, government. I don't want to. I think most influent, the most powerful and important influence is the other way around. I think it comes from art, I think it comes from social, I think it comes from interaction. And culture. Those right, are the things that I'm interested in. if people don't
2: translate the shifts that they experience from all that cultural stuff into voting, into calling their legislators and saying, hey, I need you to pass this policy, then we don't get any change happening.
3: Well, people that are interested in politics and like voting and writing their congressmen can and should do that. But changing the culture upstream is, is just, I'm just saying, my, more of my interest, not to get a, a vote passed or, or whatever. I, I would like to make even more fundamental cultural changes i'm not really diminishing that some people should be involved in politics i just wish less people were like at the real level it should should be want fewer people to be voting um i want less people to be uh, reacting with their amygdala and voting yes i do
2: you want more people who agree with you to be voting
3: no I, i don't vote i'm not interested is what I'm saying. Wow. I, that, I'm not interested in that world. I am interested in changing people's opinions. I'm interested in sharing information. I'm interested in people arriving at their conclusions with the best information and do at the political level above a firearms debate or an abortion debate. I don't think anybody changes their mind. I think they harden their worst stances if they engage at that level. That that's what right. that's I don't want I'm not gonna participate in that type of thing. But, of thing. I want to learn from you. I want to change my view over time. I want, I want to want change to your view about what community. politics
2: is and whether you should vote.
3: Okay. Well, I'm open to it. Go for it.
2: <laughs> so the way, one of the ways we create a culture together, the way, ways we create a society together is to agree on what the rules should be. And hmm. politics is the process by w- which we do that. You're obviously very interested in and smart about how the culture should be you're that you're very interested in that and Mm -hmm. so you're missing out on a really important opportunity to shape that by opting out of the political process
4: um yeah i don't i don't maybe Matt, i think one thing matt's not saying too is i don't think that he thinks the political process is trustworthy and it might seem as if it is but then it is for example i I, how about like uh the me too movement i believe uh just the idea of the me Too movement uh, awakened an entire culture, maybe a country, not enough change or anything, but more than the government could have done now public perception of of people uh breaking the rules, doing horrific things now I think that now you 're seeing the culture and the people change each other 's minds as opposed to a law that said there can 't be a casting couch like right. I'm, I'm like I, i'm thinking the bigger terms of like our culture actually and it maybe actually does move people, and then the government responds to it more than the government does something and we respond to it. Yeah, those believe, politicians
3: maybe. will pander to whatever the culture decides. The
2: idea that the government is separate from you is the one that I want to disabuse you of. Right, so well, no,
3: I'm just saying, but the politicians will pander to and get votes out of whatever will help them but once the culture just decides right, what it cares about. Right, but so if you won't vote, the then is. the
2: politicians are not going to do what you want. If you if you opt out of voting, the politicians don't care about you.
3: I'm not clear on, on what I want. Either, giving, out, you know.
2: giving away your power. So, for example, Me Too actually is changing the rules. So uh, on the House and Senate, on the federal level, they're changing the rules about um, – the way that sexual harassment claims are, are handled with, inside the government. Absolutely, mm. Me Too is changing the laws. But well, only I, because people who've been awoken by Me Too are voting and are yeah, making I themselves understood. And so yeah. if I you have process, values and you're not expressing them, you're leaving that to other people to do work for you.
3: Yes and no. I mean, I trust the process in a way. I'm not like. But I you
2: just told me the too. opposite thing, which is that you don't trust the process at all, which is why you don't.
4: Well, I don't for sure. <laughs> well, no. What I'm
3: saying is, I, I trust the process in a general way that the outcome of politics will simply be the the uh the convergence of where polit- political pandering meets public perception, or something like that. Like it's neither here nor there. It'll just go the way it goes. But how do we get it to where? The votes will go the good way, but my vote, I don't give a shit about my hashtags will be much, a, ha, a good hashtag's better than a good vote. Oh, a lot I, more I couldn't
2: disagree with you yeah. more, especially on the local level, right? On the state and local level, a vote makes an enormous difference. So it may feel infinitesimal in terms of the federal government, but what, what, what states do you live well, in?
3: Well, I, I think that's a good idea. I think you're right about that as it would pertain to my property tax here in my county. Yes, I agree. Right, but, but also your really school board talking, and what we're they're teaching. About national outrage no, no,
2: firearms. we're to, talking sick. about sex ed, and sex ed is decided on the school board level in most places. Do you know how few mm-hmm. people vote yeah, on the school great. board?
3: Yeah, that's great. No, go, yeah, go to the school, but do that. I'm, you I'm, should I'm not too. Saying, you should yeah, vote That's for fine. Who's Maybe, I, yeah, I, I agree. Yeah, I'm not saying that. I agree that as you get closer to locality, it's it's much more your vote is what's more important. So, do you vote yeah. in
2: your local elections?
3: No. I I, I, I've never voted on anything in my life. To you're be honest. throwing never away. Up,
2: you're throwing and, away. I mean, you care about this stuff. You're having me on to talk to me for an hour, yeah. right? Mm-hmm. So I
3: hope I hope it really changes culture too. And the votes land. I hope the votes go according, but I'm not too worried about my one, is what I'm telling you. I don't. Your I'd one rather be, matters I, I, I'd actually think enough. of being removed from the. I don't have an agenda, I assure you. I'm just trying to get to the truth. I don't. I, I don't. I hate those parties. I hate those politicians. I would not support them. I don't like it. It, the system is beyond what i it's, it's corrupt at a level that i'm like uncomfortable with. Democrats or Republicans it's the to best vote we've got.
2: for a candidate for your school board that's going to support good sex ed in your schools.
3: Well, yeah, but i don't know what that candidate thinks about the every other issue either and it's, it's I, But
2: look, you can I, find I'm, it's not that hard to find out. It really No, is. i
3: know, but what i'm saying is they all support stuff that i think is horrific and i won't support them directly. But I'm not doing I don't doing know that.
2: that they do on the local level. I don't think you know I, that either.
3: Well, I'm in Seattle, and I do pay attention to, to it. And I do read about it. I just don't. I, I am, it's like, to me, I'm coming from a, an angle where my conscience, like I want to speak about it, and I don't want to have a team. And I'm not going to have a team, and I, I won't support those people. I think they are tribal and team-like, and I'm just not, I feel wrong participating with that. I do want to influence people. I do want to find the truth. And I feel wrong checking this box or that box even if i'm in total alignment with a special cause issue like sex ed, maybe i am but the people that support what i want on sex ed have so many other ideas that i find horrific and pandery especially where i am in seattle and the the politics here it's like I, i mean i wash my hands of it in a way i'm going to find another way for me to contribute is the way that i feel about that and on yeah i think the system is kind of fucked up and I also think it's the best we've got, and I I do support our country and our government and our constitution and everything. I mean, I I trust it. I wish it was a lot better, but I'm going to spend my time and effort in the other area.
1: A lot can happen in the next three years, like a chatbot maybe your new best friend.
3: Does that doesn't seem right, reasonable to you? I
2: don't think voting takes that much time and effort. I don't think that's an either or proposition.
3: Well, (laughs) yeah, I understand. I I totally agree with
2: you that I don't think our government is super great and -hmm. that our system is broken, basically. Although sometimes I say our system is broken and I think or it's functioning exactly as it was designed by like wealthy white guys who owned other people like Mm -hmm. um you know maybe our system is functioning as intended very which is bad uh but i don't think that we can change it without participating
4: well i think like what we're saying here we're probably saying the same thing i think you put more value and i think you make a great point on the local level i do think your vote matters more but for example we grew up in south carolina Everything was red, no matter what. So it didn't matter who voted what way; it was going to be red. Which the most surprising thing is, when I moved to Seattle in two thousand one, it was just no matter what, everything was going to be blue. Like it was almost like the exact same fundamentalist attitude, just from coming from different points. And I felt like my vote never really mattered in that in in those areas, just because no one was really going to change. Now, what I do think is changes culture and. And everything is having conversations with with uh, people who are different minded about certain things. Like I think uh, like uh, us and you having this conversation, I'm sure there's a billion things we disagree on, but we're having a a great conversation that's challenging. Last time you came on, in fact, challenged me more than probably you'll ever realize just about sexuality and what that can mean, especially for my kids. Just like what like what I would think of now of my kids having sex as opposed to before our conversation, I really made it some big changes. And so that feels like the real thing that feels like the thing where, oh, okay, now my, now just in my home is changing. And then I, I might influence somebody and some, and that person might. And so then you have some real influence there. Then I think you're actually using your voice in a more effective way. And you're probably saying, and in both.
2: Yes, right? exactly. Yeah. yeah.
4: Yeah, I would do whatever I could to
3: k- ever keep anybody from calling me a Republican or a Democrat. I would be so upset if somebody framed me as one or the other of that. I would be so devastated. I, I wouldn't, it's not worth it to me to ever get near that. <laughs> is the way I am yeah. also but, but, a
2: registered independent.
3: Yeah. I mean, yeah, sure. I could be independent. I know, but I mean, whatever. I vote for the third party. It won't matter. It just doesn't, I mean, I'm just interested in other things, is, is, is the way I would say it. But what I'm curious about. uh. If it's fine to move past that, few you, if you yeah, think. Yeah, you I mean, look, I don't think that
2: past. going around around this is going to. Yeah.
3: yeah, sure. But but I do respect people that are active in politics also. And so I don't mean everybody should do what I do. So don't hear me say nobody should vote. I think I hope and I trust that people are politically active, that care and are smart and pay attention and read way more than I do. I hope that and I trust that and I do believe that I'm counting on you and other people to do to do that in a way and so you can say that's me wanting other people to do work or whatever but the point is i do support political work and then that political stuff now also it becomes blurs into activism so now i think this is a whole interesting territory and I'm, i'm curious uh of more of the other like uh you know, like you said, you're handling stuff politically. I'm very interested in the stuff you're doing in immigration. You got arrested. I mean, I want to I talk sure about is. that. Like I'm yeah. not against your involvement. And I mean, I'm curious about that. Yeah. I was just yeah. highlighting that I, I have a different approach and angle and I I want to hear more about yours, but I wanna hear about you get arrested. So yeah. long, long, long,
2: long, long. <laughs> That's everyone wants to talk to me about that right now. It's just fine with me. Um yeah, I got arrested with seventeen other Jews in Boston protesting ice's uh ongoing detention of immigrants coming across the southern border border uh it was part of a movement of jews who've been having protests like this around the country uh last week was it last week time is a flat circle very recently they had a huge action in dc where they actually secured the perimeter of the ice building in dc for five hours and wouldn't let anyone in and out ice had to go on lockdown which was pretty badass mm-hmm. um, And, you know, I did it because I am a Jew and because I see very clearly that the U.S. government is running concentration camps at the southern border. I do not know how you guys feel about my saying that, but it seems plain as the nose on my face
3: to me. Oh, let's let's actually stop there. I just asked you questions. What I mean, why? What are you worried that I might think different about that? What would be the. Yeah,
2: I don't know. What what gives you pause there? Uh, people get very worked up when you say the word concentration camp. People yell at me about it all the time. So I just wanted to okay. stop and give you all a chance to okay. let me know how, where you're at on this issue. Well,
3: it should be pretty easy, though. What's your definition of concentration camps and what do you intend to convey by using that word? Right. Concentration noise.
2: camps have a historical definition, and they actually had one before the Holocaust. Right, So mm-hmm. it's when a population of people, usually with a racial definition or an ethnic definition, are being detained indefinitely in ways that have nothing to do with the criminal justice system and are detained Mm -hmm. in inhumane conditions en masse. And that is literally what is happening.
3: So my opinion then would be a really, really nuanced one, I guess, and then some real weird middle state. But I agree with that. I'm pretty sure I agree with that. However, it seems that the use of that term is intended to evoke death camp, to make the thing seem more scary because it, you know, and, and correct me here, but you don't think that the goal is to concentrate more people and then exterminate them though. You don't, you don't think think that that you don't want to convey that. That was not the
2: goal when Hitler started concentrating the Jews into camps either. I think it can Mm -hmm. get there if we don't stop it now. I don't think that is presently the intention, but I don't want to get to a place where it is. It needs to stop now before we get to that place. I,
3: I think I can almost even understand that. So, but then I'm back into I'm under Hitler psychology now. Do you think Hitler knew that he wanted to kill Jews, and like Trump wants to kill Mexicans? Though, like that doesn't seem that seems not the most uh, precise. If you
2: look at contemporaneous coverage of Hitler in the early days of his political rise. There's all this coverage of him that says, oh, don't worry. He's just using anti-Semitism to rile up his base. He's Mm. not really invested in it, right? Mm -hmm. So I don't know. I did not know the man, right? Like, I don't know at what point he decided he wanted to mass exterminate Jews. And it's entirely possible that he started just thinking they were a useful scapegoat. You know, we see this play happen over and over again in the rise of of authoritarian leaders, however you want to describe it, Mm -hmm. that they have to pick... Uh, powerless, relatively powerless enemy to get everybody to hate so that they don't notice that that the authoritarian is actually taking all the power. Uh, Mm -hmm. And, you know, Hitler picked the Jews and Trump has clearly picked Latinx in the brown people. You know, and, and it's literally the same playbook. We are earlier in the playbook than what we know of how the Holocaust ended, but that doesn't mean that horrific creeping authoritarianism isn't happening now and we shouldn't stop it now right like i really wish for my jewish ancestors that more people in weimar germany had like stopped partying for a minute and protested early on and not waited and said oh how could we have known they weren't too bad in the beginning uh they made the economy work and the trains run on time it was none of my business uh you know i've seen this play before and I, i feel it in my bones
3: You've seen this play, okay? I'm going to defend your point of view one a little bit farther, and then I'm going to ask another question that yeah. I'm unclear on the answer. You are very right about uh, that. That like if that's your that's I understand that is your genuine point of view that there is. And I'm going to try and make it numerical. It sounds to me like you're saying, "Hey, I'm not saying that the plan here is to exterminate brown people. What I'm saying is it could be that." Or it could turn into that, and even if I think there's a ninety percent chance that that's not true, uh, I wish people. I mean, if a ten percent chance of genocide is exceedingly high, it's you know, terrible. 1% chance it's, yes. right. it's really. So we want to really just at bad. least.
2: And also, yes. it doesn't yeah. have to be genocide to be yeah. horrible, right? Like <laughs> of there course, are of mass atrocities being yes. committed against children. By our government, paid for with our tax dollars, and whether or not they lead to genocide, we have to fucking stop them. Yes. You can call uh, it concentration camps or not. That is what I see. I don't really want to argue about the words. I'm not saying you are, but I hear it from right. a lot of people. No. I don't sure. I honestly like if you're more interested, and I'm talking about the hypothetical you, not sure. you too, about arguing with me about the freeze concentration camp and not the mass atrocities that are being committed against children in cages right now, paid for by our tax dollars, then you have a lot of things to work out with yourself ethically.
3: Yes. Now, I think that is, all the things that you're saying are completely unacceptable and are a problem and they're a problem no matter what administration or who, anything like that. These, the whole thing is, is super fucked up. I mean, when you look at the chill, I mean, it. that's true. So what i'm and i and I agree any way to raise awareness of or do it different or any possibility because if if there's anything about trump it's it's he's clearly authoritarian in nature he's clearly doesn't care about what happens to other people it may uh, Worse atrocities are possible if they became expedient to him. I, I believe exactly. That. I think if that's it's expedient, to, to understand he right.
2: will do literally whatever.
3: Yeah. And I agree that he has no character and he's a bad person. And so whatever. But I don't think he's I I, you know, like has some master plan to do stuff like that. The question is though, if we agree about that. Is it, what do you think about the, the line of thinking that's saying that uh, our overreach or over exaggeration of what he is do- – like saying that he's going to go kill everybody and this is concentration camps and we'll be extermination. Like what about the line of thinking that says that's so aggressive in, in a sense that that is going to hurt the Democrats and it's going to hurt – it's going to get is, Trump reelected. Who is, that is not-
2: saying that he's going to exterminate everyone?
3: I think that the choice of extreme language, again, as we're talking about guns or sex or even this, I'm worried that that's going to help Trump and backfire is all I'm saying. And strategically, I disagree. That, that I don't think a-
2: concentration camps is extreme language. It is literally the correct term for what is happening at the border.
3: Right. But all the all the MAGA people think that you're saying extermination camps. And so they react to that. that. The
2: MAGA people will think I'm saying extremist things if I say it is partly cloudy today. Mm -hmm. I am not trying to reach them.
3: You don't think left overreach is a danger to getting Trump reelected?
2: I think left passivity is a danger to getting Trump reelected.
3: Tell me more about that. That's interesting. I
2: think that there are an enormous amount of people who didn't vote and who don't vote like you. Mm (laughs) and I think who are decent people who see that things are bad and that those are the people I want to convince to come out like converting somebody who mainlines Fox News all day every day is not something I'm going to be effective at that's just not I it's not a priority of mine there are way more people who are actually movable to vote,
3: right? But the best way to get them to vote is fear and outrage. And now the left is going to use that. That doesn't seem right to me. Like, no. like, you can get more people to vote if you make them scared and you make them outraged. So if you want more people to vote, that should be the plan.
2: I'm never going to use fear. I just morally opposed to it. I,
3: you don't think that using concentration camps that you know conjures extermination is leaning into causing fear, though?
2: I'm not, I mean, what I'm afraid is that the status quo will continue. Yeah. So I don't, I, I'm expressing how I feel, right? Like I'm telling mm-hmm. you that I am outraged. I am heart sick. Yep. I, and I will not stand for this being done in my name and with my tax dollars. What mm-hmm. I'm very invested in is building community, actually, and acting mm-hmm. from a place of love and solidarity. Like, uh, we know there was a report out, today that ICE was supposed to do a roundup of 2,000 immigrants that they had identified for a mass roundup that Trump's been touting. And they've been able to bring in 35. And they say that the reason is because the communities are rallying around their migrant neighbors. And that's Mm -hmm. what I'm for, which is love and solidarity, which is actually the power we have in the face of division and fear. Mm -hmm. And so what I'm hoping is I will inspire other people to stand up together about community and, and... and standing up for people who may we may be being taught to fear and to actually mm-hmm. to overcome that fear of the brown other coming over the border yeah. and actually show love and solidarity to them and imagine that they are you. Imagine that that is your child.
4: Yep. Yes. I, I think that was the—that's what I think, uh, Matt, maybe this is what you're getting at, too. I think the subtlety or the simplicity, maybe is the better word, of Trump's dialogue about things is what— Actually makes him effective, which is is really scary, and it makes me feel bad about marriage. For example, Trump slides in. Hey, we're just all we're trying to do is stop the bad hombres. I think was the way he he oh, yeah. termed it, right? Bad hombres yeah. is his term, and then that infiltrates into culture the idea or the thoughts, especially on the right side, maybe mostly majority on the right side oh well we're just trying to keep out bad people that are going to hurt us i want to protect everybody and i mean the common person goes i'm working 40 hours a week i'm doing all i can and then you're telling me that somebody's coming into the country illegally not the right way and this this and this and and they just buy into this narrative that oh wait a minute everybody's bad. Oh, shallow political you're gonna make me feel bad because kids but i didn't ask them to come here and you're you're blaming me and and so and meanwhile the
2: reason that that person may be actually economically insecure is cuz Trump passed a tax cut that favors billionaires and his his billionaire buddies and takes money out of the pockets of the working poor. You know, like and he's cutting food stamps, right? It's a classic distraction mechanism which is say oh, oh for sure those people over there are the ones you should fear. I'm helping you when in fact the yeah. reverse is true. But I want to talk about illegal for a second. Okay. So I want to be super clear. Obviously, the children have done nothing wrong, right?
4: Right, right.
2: And they're also being detained in truly abusive conditions. Agree. But put them aside for a second, if we can, and say that applying for asylum is not illegal, Applying for asylum is perfectly legal, and many of mm-hmm. these people have come here seeking asylum from horrific conditions. But let's put those aside for a second and talk about the people who have truly crossed the, the border illegally, okay? Crossing the border illegally is a misdemeanor. It's a federal misdemeanor. It is literally in the same class of federal misdemeanor as running a stop sign at the Pentagon. Mm-hmm. You're telling me that they deserve whatever they get because they didn't, they broke the law. Then you're also telling me that if you're driving with your child at the Pentagon and you run a stop sign, that the government has the right to take you and that child, separate you, and throw you in separate concentration camps indefinitely. Mm-hmm. Possibly yeah. give your child to foster parents. You yes. know. So the idea that like I- that they broke a law, it, it sounds like they're like terrifying criminals, but it's literally like literally like the same as running a stop sign, the law that they're breaking.
4: Uh, well, I was going to say, I think the the issue too, though, this is what goes back to which makes me not trust the government, is there aren't good answers being given. It's just like it feels like it's more like hate each other. Like, like for example, if somebody hears that, what you just said, I, I could understand. Uh, for example, I'm from the South, and my dad hears you say running a stop sign, You should you would split up a mom and a kid. He would go, but but I'm here legally and I might have broke the law. But you're you're you are defending you're not defending me, you would be defending somebody from another country that you don't know. What you're saying is you care about people and children and families and what they're doing isn't as crazy as Trump is making it sound, which I understand as well. But the problem I feel with all of this is the language and the lingo and the terminology we're using is meant to be divisive. The government loves it and it keeps us engaged in this stuff, which I think is the is the big distraction. I don't, I don't know. Like, I, I feel like you're putting your money where your mouth is and you are literally putting your own life in, in jeopardy or your own freedom in jeopardy, which I think is super honorable and respectful. And I don't I know a lot of people wouldn't do that, maybe even including myself. I would yeah, be that's activism.
5: That's beyond scared. Political. It was what no joke about? as a but, survivor yes.
2: of sexual violence to, like, give up my bottle autonomy to like men with guns I
5: can't guns. imagine it, was, can't it imagine.
2: was it was a lot but like that's that's what we need to do for each other that's radical love for me
4: yeah I know I agree that's what I'm saying I want I wish how do how do I convince my dad what you're saying is right because I it is you're right I it, even as a Christian or uh yeah you can yeah. you cannot like my my dad thinks oh wait a minute if you let everybody in, there'll be a terrorist and something like 9-11 will happen because he's, the fear tactics have been used. But he, my dad isn't a bad guy. He just, the, the like Matt said, the scary stuff works. Yeah. It makes the my dad go, oh, really wait. Working
2: th- And look, yeah. I don't have all the answers. Like if I knew the answer sure, to that, I'd sure. be running a political consulting company or something. But right. uh here's what I think. What, I mean, part of it, I actually think that you have a power I don't have, which is that you're familiar with the Bible in a way that I'm not, especially the New Testament, right? But it seems to me, I'm a Jew, what do I know? But it seems to me that Jesus would have done what I did at the very... Oh, yeah, yeah.
4: I I think so, too. yeah (laughs) 100%. So
2: I don't know. The thing that I don't understand is how your dad can love Jesus and think of himself as a follower of Jesus and hate immigrants because Jesus is very well, clear on this matter.
3: I, I think it's kind of easy to understand how, and I don't mean that to disagree with you. I'm just looking at it from a different point of view. I, I no, think it's, it's a real curiosity to, for
2: me as an well, outsider.
3: T- well, see if this answer rings true then. yeah, then. He has an extremely cartoon, ridiculous view of immigrants and all that, that he actually possesses because it was instilled in him fearfully and he's internalized it and doesn't even know but that he possesses a very cartoon understanding of that. I also believe it possesses a ridiculously cartoon understanding of who Jesus is. So it's just too—it's just incredible immaturity, because the, all you, all he, mm-hmm. or any average person is not an activist or a deep scholar or somebody that focuses. They just get—that's all they get. They just get manipulated by the government, the culture, the social media the outrage, the political party, their local church. They just get the reduced bullshit. It's the opposite of taking a kid. Teach them about sex, seeing if they're ready, getting them like that whole thing where you customize to a person. Well, we don't do that. We're just overrun by fear, domination structures. You're evangelical. You're Democrat. You're on the board, you're, and you just—he's a working guy. He doesn't have time to know if, if his fears are legitimate. He's just scared, and he's been told Jesus is good, and that's bad, and that's about all he had time for. And it's like a nine-year-old, maybe. Yeah, but as far as he can go with is. like
4: protest, like for, as far as he could probably even go is, wait a minute, you. You were blocking my way on the way to work. I gotta be at yeah. work at 7 a.m. That's, Why do not you don't care about me? You're just trying to stop me from working. I'm just I'm just trying to stay my, keep my head above water or something like that. Now, if you could inform him, if he could see what how that you know, what you're doing, if he could go to the border, see the children, see the families, he would probably be brought to tears. Yeah, he, I believe yeah, that. I know sure. my dad well enough. And and that would but that's what I'm saying. It's so effective the simplicity of Trump's message. And it's so, this feels so sick to say, it's almost welcoming as safety. Wait a minute. I don't, we're not trying to hurt kids and families. We don't, don't come here. I'm trying to protect all of America, red, blue, whatever. You know, and that's, that's Trump's underlying message. And it's so effective and it's really scary because what we are, we end up missing is everything that actually is real and not cartoonish. What you're saying isn't cartoonish. It's real. It's horrific. It's sad. And I'm, I, am i i I do think the most effective thing is how how can we get real answers? Like, I don't know if the either side really can't. Like the Democrats, it seems like want to hate uh, Trump and he's terrible at the border. The red, the Republicans go, yeah, we got to have border safety, and nobody's really saying anything that's going to make it better. I mean, we have really, uh, really bad situation, and I don't. I mean, what do, like, right now? What do you think the answer is? The government says, okay, we'll give uh, those families uh, better housing. Like I mean, you know, like it's so complicated. Like, if 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 government changed something right now, just 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 the the border problem alone, do you do you have any effective ideas of like what would improve?
2: I mean, I got so many. I know
4: that's a huge question. I got so many
2: things I want to say. Some of which are the answer to that question, and some of which I want to loop back around to actually talking about sex ed, which is relevant to this conversation. I promise. I like
4: it. Yeah.
2: I think that we could go back to not criminalizing these people, right? The same way that we don't criminalize people who run a stop sign at the Pentagon, right? You issue a citation and you ask them to come to court and you don't hold them at all. And that was actually working for the long period of our history. And we see, statistically speaking, that immigrants are actually less likely to commit crimes than people who are natural born u.s citizens right so the idea that that's inviting crime is actually just not true it's not factual Uh, we know that actually the vast majority of terrorism that's happened in u.s soil in the last few years is white supremacist terrorism so we have to look at realistically we don't have to be holding these people holding these people is literally just torturing them Um, well
3: what should we do with but we turn what would we do with them other than hold them though
2: we issue them a citation if they've done any, something illegal. For the people who've uh, come to apply for asylum, we process their asylum claims the way that they're supposed to be processed. And if mm-hmm. someone has crossed the border illegally, we give them a citation in order to appear in court to answer for it, the same we would if, we, if mm-hmm. you ran a stop sign at the Pentagon. That is right. what we should do. And we should also get real about the fact that the reason that all these people are fleeing is because their countries are in great chaos and, and get real about actually trying to help these countries instead of force them to sign to, to do things that they're not capable of doing and, and sort of threaten them with tariffs if they don't toe the Trump line. So that's my answer to what we should be doing at the border in the very shortest amount of time. Obviously, it's a very complicated discussion, and I'm not yeah. an expert, but that's the very mm-hmm. basic baseline. But I want to say... Mm-hmm. A bigger thing
3: but what but, but you know if the question came about open borders, people act like all the Democrats want open borders, but they will say no that's not what we want, but again what, what or is that what we need or, what, or no. what what where's the like yeah, we process them, we give them a citation, and then we send them back south. I mean, what do we do if if they denied asylum, I mean what do we do? Yeah. do, we do? you just turn those kids around and point them back to Honduras
2: if we does not yeah, I mean we need better asylum laws, we certainly no, don't need trump's asylum laws, but if they <laughs> are not qualified to qualify for asylum. Look, we have to fit the the immigration system overall is it needs a giant overhaul. And I am not an immigration policy expert, so I can't help you with the big view of that. But at the very least, there's no reason for us to be detaining these people.
3: So to me, that's activists need to work on human rights and atrocities with their full force. Uh, But the political discussion on what's a good border policy is a whole just not even that's like a that's a whole different thing.
2: I mean, I will say, and I know you hate the parties, but many of the Democrats who are currently running for president have very interesting and robust uh, proposals for what immigration policy should be. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, and you can find them on their websites and they talk about them in the press. It doesn't get covered very much. But there is an actual robust debate happening inside democratic politics about what good immigration policy should be. And there's disagreement among people, among Democrats, about what good immigration policy should look like. Um, so it's not like this is not being worked on. It's just not being covered because it doesn't, if it doesn't bleed, it doesn't lead. Right. Of
3: course. That's, that's the problem. I think one of the
2: things we haven't talked about here, we talked a lot about politicians, but we haven't talked a lot about journalism.
3: Yeah. They're, they're part and parcel to the problem. I I think less bad than politicians. I think there's a lot
2: of great journalists out there and I know a lot of them, but I think that. Overall, the media corporations that control what we see on the nightly news um, and, you know, on the front page of our local newspapers are making d- decisions based on what we'll sell, which they need mm-hmm. to do to stay in business. And, you know, and then I'm going to descend into a capitalist critique, which we probably don't have time for. Uh, but I do I desperately <laughs> want to come back around to talking about your dad. And I don't mean to put him on the spot, but I think that this is a really useful and instructive question. Um okay. So I think that there are two answers. I want to answer it at two different levels. Okay. One is that one of the most powerful things you can do, because he is your dad, is try to have that complex conversation with them. And maybe you do. I'm not sure suggesting you don't. But, like, I think a lot of times we write the people in our families off because it's hard. It's so painful. And I want to validate that. It is hard and painful. And I have... Trump voters in my family too like I uh I and I just want to yell at them like you're a Jew like what are you doing but (laughs) um uh and but that's not helpful right but that when there are people who we actually have influence with like asking them to engage with us to at least hear us and not coming at them in accusatory ways but actually trying to sort of get curious about where they're coming from and seeing if you can find points of agreement. Like, yeah... it is terrible that the economy is so unstable. I agree with you that you work harder than you should have to to support yourself or you should have been able to retire by now or whatever it is, right, that they resent immigrants for. Like, that resentment is probably real. It's just the target is misplaced, right? And so Mm -hmm. starting from places of agreement and, and having those hard conversations is something that all of us can do with the people in our lives as a way of doing that culture change that you're talking about doing. But the bigger answer which comes back to sex ed is the desperate need for us to teach emotional literacy to the next generation and especially the next generation of men
3: i like that
2: and that one of the things that a real comprehensive sex ed curriculum does is start in early grades and every time you talk about starting sex ed in early grades someone will say you want to teach blowjobs to kindergartners and that's not what i mean right but talking about healthy touch and boundary setting and consent, but also accepting rejection, right? If if you say, can I hug you? And that person says, I don't want you to, that you don't then shove that person, right? Like Mm -hmm. that, that learning emotional literacy and learning to say, just because I'm afraid doesn't mean someone should pay, right? Like, you know, just because my feelings are hurt doesn't mean that person is bad. Like, learning to engage our emotions and not fear and shut down our emotions actually could get us out of a lot of this mess and could get us around that fear. I think the people who are most vulnerable to the kind of fear-mongering that you're talking about, that the Trump administration absolutely derives power from, are the kind of people who have not learned to interrogate their feelings, right? And have not learned to say... That's right. Okay, I'm going to sit in this uncomfortable feeling and think about where it's coming from and what it actually means and are just sort of operating on that instinctual level and never got emotional education. And that mm-hmm. is actually one of the most powerful things that comes along with Good Sex Ed that we keep refusing to teach in most of our public schools. There, I brought it all home.
3: That, and I love that too, because <laughs> that's a whole nother box, but that's terrific. Because the, you know, it's 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 a not an uncaring approach for, for men and masculinity who are gonna face some difficulty in the coming times. It's very clear. So it's not just that they're bad, it's like how can we help them to have the tools as they grow up healthier? Because obviously that's the need they have need more than just blame i would say i mean certainly plenty of both to go around but you know and i also think there's a point worth pointing out that if we got to engage in conversations with people like toby's dad who's (laughs) a very normal person by the way that we if we're going to get there (laughs) that means we have to understand that he probably actually has some other knowledge and intuitions and life experience that we probably don't get and need from yeah right right But not maybe not on the kids in the cages. That that one we hope to win him over. But we have to admit that those people must know something we don't know that's real. Also,
2: well, that's why I'm saying you start by listening to what the what what's at the root of the mm-hmm. concern. So, like, what is the concern under the concern? So,
3: yeah,
2: this this is a thing I've been thinking about a lot lately. So, this is going to set us off on a different tangent, and I don't know how long you want to go. But uh, last year. Like uh, two days after the final vote on the Kavanaugh confirmation, I was in Nebraska giving a talk uh, in Lincoln at the university there. And it turned out this was not planned, but it turned out that mostly the audience was dominated by like a bunch of guys in several fraternities mm-hmm. Uh I was expecting a more of a mixed audience. That's what it turned out. That's fine. I talk to guys all the time about this stuff. As you know, I talk to you guys, right? Like, uh, but they got everyone, including me, was very riled up from the protracted Kavanaugh fight and they couldn't stop talking about false rape allegations and their fear that like someone was going to lie about them and ruin their life. Mm -hmm. And I was so raw and emotional at that point that I mostly just wanted to, like, rip off my own head and throw it at them, right? I was not at my best. Uh, and I did my best and did all the sort of debunking I always do about factually how rare false rape allegations are, and actually most of they don't name it. You know, I did all the sort of, like, actual answers to their question, and it didn't help anybody, at least not in the moment, right? Like, nobody seemed convinced. And afterwards, right. I was thinking that I really should have answered the question under their question, right? The root question, which is, I feel vulnerable, right? Like I feel vulnerable and that's something we can all relate to, right? And if I had been able to relate to them on an emotional level and say, I see that you feel vulnerable and I also feel vulnerable and we feel vulnerable for different, reasons that seem in opposition but I bet we can find a way to make a bridge right like that that might have been a much more productive conversation and I should just say my own defense I have more productive conversations with oh, groups cool. of men all the time but that was not my finest hour
3: well um, you, yeah you you're, you're terrific at this you have man. a lot of ability yeah. to sit in tension hold many things that's that that's very clear yeah. but we come yeah, from the yeah. world of yeah. evangelicalism where you're supposed to evangelize and go convert people and so we're very sensitive when we you know like from my view it's like okay if you're going to engage in a conversation because you want to change somebody's opinion about anything, politics, God, anything, it is false unless you understand that you're willing to change too. If you like, I want to go change this person because I think he needs to know something different. There's no conversation unless I'm actually open to him changing me and coming out the conversation the other way or on a different matter, you know, that's what it takes and politics and the contentious activist type things are, it's really hard to get that, but you're correct. If you can get to how we're both vulnerable, how we both have problems that we need to solve together, that's, we have to be able to get there, but it can't be people showing up with answers to tell people facts. You, that's right. That's, facts that's not are, are
2: so much less convincing than we ever think they are. Uh, I, I would yeah, like to live in problem. a world where facts are convincing, but I Me don't too. live in that world. But so right. like if your dad, <laughs> Maybe me leaning with those immigrants are coming to make America less safe you know the question that I have is like well what is it that you feel you're won't like what are your vulnerabilities like what are what are the actual fears like right. let's talk and and sit with him about and make it make it clear that you take his fears seriously even if you disagree with who he's blaming for them and I think that's a really wonderful way of having these tough conversations.
3: Toby, you think he'll be down to the podcast next week, and we can have that conversation?
4: Oh, <laughs> oh, no, no, no. <laughs> hey, he, our, po- our podcast is the most liberal, left-wing podcast he could he ever could ever imagine. imagine. Like, way, Does yeah, like, he listen? Think, yeah, my no, no, Lord, he he doesn't hardly know what a podcast is, but he he thinks I am. I mean, I'm a, I my he thinks probably Obama's conservative compared to me. Sweat. <laughs> <That's> <laughs>
5: He thinks like we're he, crazy.
4: I'm sure. Yeah. yeah, he thinks we're out there. And he, I mean, he's right in some instances. But in this, I think you're right. That that is a really good point. Meeting somebody where yeah, you know, what is the real underlying thing there? I think you're right. Like uh, my dad, there, there probably is underlying the he would immediate if you asked him about children and protecting them, he would say yes, of course. Families bre- breaking them apart, no way you shouldn't do that. If you said certain things, but. If you present, so if you present it in one way, he would one hundred percent agree with you. In the other way, he wouldn't. And the problem is that that political line, that evangelical line, that Christian line, all of that just gets it mucks it up and gets in the way of a real answer. Because I mean, I've sat with him a bunch of times and talked to him. We, I mean, we've had some questions. I mean, we've had some serious knockdown. Okay, a huge knockdown drag out one is basically kind of about immigration, which would be the wall and we had a you know an hour long discussion and i tried to stay calm and keep everything together and just say listen i understand my point was i was trying to say i understand protecting the border maybe every country in the world or there there should be some protections on the border i'm i'm 100% for that the right way because if you're doing our border the right way? That means people are being better taken care of. That means bad guys don't get in. All of that stuff, everything. There should be some a good, healthy way. I said, but I just don't. I don't understand this wall thing. That doesn't make much sense. And he couldn't get past that because the wall was presented so strongly and so well by, if you will, the strongman character, which Trump plays up. He plays the strongman that's going to protect you. He knows about money. He knows about power. He knows about kicking ass. And that feels like America in a way. And that that American dreams All that stuff's bad
2: the brokest con man in the
4: world. Oh, 100%. But I mean he is just a salesman in a way. I mean, yes. so he can sell he can sell the brand thing really well, which is, is just, it, it, it's just it's just it's really disgusting. And that's what I'm I'm hoping. I wonder I do wonder the political landscape of this next election what is going to look like. I mean, it's going to be almost uh, it will be the most watched thing ever, yeah, maybe. That, like I, find I, that I troubling, I mean, yeah, yeah. it's
2: already making me sick to my stomach, honestly. Um, uh, no. I know. Because it's clear that Trump is going to get even more deeply authoritarian because he can't run this time around on empty promises of what he'll do when he's president because we know that he didn't do any of those things, right? So he's he seems to be doubling down on the fear-mongering mm-hmm. and the us-versus-them stuff so hard. Uh, and, and I don't know... I mean, like, look, you guys have said you're not that engaged in politics i am very engaged in political conversations and there are 100 opinions about the best way to beat him and nobody actually knows the answer right everybody has a different take and one day i'm convinced by one thing and one day i'm you know like i i don't know um but and yet it is so high stakes right Yeah, yeah
3: to me the biggest danger and this is i'm not trying to defend my whole position but just to color a little bit more is That this whole thing sounds like it's like Toby just said it's going to be the most watched thing, and that is not a good thing in my opinion. That is not good. That just means we're replacing college football with this, and we're bringing the same tribal energy of rivalry and hate. Like I hate my rival football team. That's that's where that that's healthy there. I agree with you. That's got a limit on. If we take that into the mainstream thing, that's a disaster. The
2: journalists have some control over that and they refuse to control it right like if you if you cover this election like a sports competition which is what they do what they're do, that's
3: what i'm saying that's what we're yeah. doing that's negative to me but to me. In,
2: attention is not inherently negative like if it were no. if it were if the attention was about policy and impact right if the attention was about sure. humans st- you know
3: yeah then the ratings would go back down to nerds that like policy and that'd be fine with me i don't want everybody i don't want more of these people to vote they don't know what they're talking about they just want to get riled up and cheer for their team i don't want them involved I think
2: the sports the horse race coverage is very damaging it's very damaging
3: i mean that's what the media wants like they i mean you know how the they make a lot of money on sports well this this pays better and there's more people and we we can get it's like the world cup every day or whatever you know it's the super bowl every day of course we want people to act like sports fans about the politics good get everybody right i mean that's the thing i find damaging
4: and the world's watching this time more than ever too yeah, and that's the not, rest of the i mean ugh, like I it, it, well <laughs> I, that, that's what i'm saying I, I do think we need the what i believe is we need another candidate that keeps things simple and says this is what i'm going to do um, you know uh, like that, i think that is what it Maybe that is what Trump's biggest strong point is. He goes, I'm going to do this. I'm going to build. He like just says wall, wall, wall over and over and over and over. You know, says, or, or something, He just repeats stuff over and over, and it just gets stuck in the cultural lingo, even if it's comedy. I mean, it, every, Saturday Night Live loves that Trump is the president. It's the greatest ratings, best thing that's happened to them in probably decades or something like that. And so the problem is it, it, it is entertaining, but it's also our real life here. So we have to do something. It, it's it, super real what,
2: life. Like the, the rabbi's house in my town got lit on fire twice in a week last month.
4: Oh Lord.
2: And I live again, yeah. I can't stress enough. I live in Massachusetts. Yeah. Yeah. Um, it's super real life and people are really losing sight of thought that, that, that he, this is incitement to violence, what he's doing. I agree that what, the Dems need, and none of us idea, identify as Dems, but we acknowledge that the, if someone's right. going to beat Trump, it's going to be a Democrat, right? right. And yeah. what the Dems right. need is someone who make people feel something emotionally and not just make people think. That um, Because that's right. what Trump is good at, is galvanizing people emotionally. And so that's one of the things I'm looking for in a candidate to support in the primary is like, who's who makes people feel inspired who makes people come together who makes people want to show up and be our best selves and not just who's like I don't know got off a good zinger on a debate stage you know like uh and and so and, and people are gonna have different answers to that again people in my life are just all arguing about this right now like who should it be and what's the right tactic but this is I think why when you say oh if we say you know you know, concentration camps or whatever the term is on the left, isn't that going to alienate Trump voters? Like, I actually think that someone galvanizing on the left is what we need.
4: Mm -hmm. Yes, I I believe that as well. And uh, the the funniest thing or not the funny, the most one of the most interesting things I I ever could have imagined was, we had eight years of Obama, who was basically just there, there was no it was just so smooth. I mean, you might disagree with his policies. You might not like his policies, but I'm saying, as far I know as a president, he
2: supported a ton of people, right? He, yeah, oh, he yeah, ran yeah, ice yeah. pretty good but,
4: too. But I, yeah. Oh yeah, right. But I'm saying, I, my my point would be, as far as a personality, I guess maybe yeah, the, the policies, some of the things that he did, of course. But I'm saying, it it is so interesting. We, I mean, married kids, seem, but seemingly he also, no controversy. The
2: thing he has in common with Trump is he makes people feel.
4: Right. Right. Yeah. Yes. Right. So, and and so it was a great time. And then we followed up that presidency with this. It's so bizarre. It's so bizarre to go from the, our accident. first black president, you know, uh, uh, literally no personal controversy or any, you can't, maybe you disagreed with what he thought the country should do, but it wasn't morally ambiguous right. or bad. He had you literally know what I mean? no scandals. And, you know,
2: yes, exactly. Right. No
4: scandals or anything. And then we come to a president that just it, sexually Christians go, well, you know boys will be boys or so you know like the the whole world is changing so that I know we're running out of time now but I didn't even get to my question so we consider you a friend of the show I, ho- I hope you consider we'll we'll do it. Uh, yeah we'd like to have you back cuz I would love to get into the idea of how Trump and the president has even changed sexuality like the way I, like in some ways I've been thinking like in some ways uh me too movement and and, and more communication has happened but at the same time I think uh, people are viewing Yep. sex, even, even harder. It's the or best of times and the worst of times
2: in, in my field, yeah. for sure. I, see, I, see. I also I would love to come back anytime. I love talking to you guys because also I don't talk to people who come from where you come from that often. Like this is actually really great for me. Also. Um, I, I really love talking to you.
4: Well, really you're awesome. That. You have, your book is called unscrewed. You have a, a podcast that I didn't know about, and I just started listening to it. It's great as well, called unscrewed Jacqueline Freeman. Uh, we really do, and you can go to JacquelineFriedman.com, dot com, right? That's that your is website correct. as well. Yeah, Yep, So you can find her there. We love having you on. Thank you for joining us again.
2: Yeah, absolutely. Thanks for having me. Anytime.
0: Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Gigi Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm.